Hey, welcome back to Female Founder World. It's Jasmine. I am the host of the show. And today I'm chatting with Rianne Silva, the founder of Beauty Blender. And everything that Rianne knows about business, she has taught herself. And you know what? She knows a lot. She has sold more than 50 million units of her invention, the Beauty Blender. And she doesn't have an MBA, but she does have 100% ownership of her business. And it is a pretty big business, guys. I couldn't get revenue numbers, but we do know that one is sold every 17 minutes. Plus she has a bunch of other products that, that she's created and Beauty Blender is stocked in Sephora, Ulta, Nordstrom, Net-A-Porter, Revolve, Blue Mercury, and dozens of other retailers. Plus they have more than 3 million Instagram followers. And if you just Google Beauty Blender, you'll see that they've been featured multiple times in pretty much every major beauty publication. She has built something truly mind-blowing. And she started the business back in 2003 when she was working as a celebrity makeup artist. She had the idea for the business. We're going to get into that a little bit in the episode. But I just wanted to point out that she also built this company while raising her daughter and she's a single mom. And I just think that that adds another layer of just wow, what a woman to this story. I hope you guys love it. She shares some really great advice for entrepreneurs who are both starting out and just need like some guidance and also for people who are a little bit further along and are trying to figure out how to scale and how to just level up as a leader and a founder. I love chatting with her. Let's get into the show. You are now entering Female Founder World with your host, Jasmine Grinesworthy. Rayanne, welcome to Female Founder World. It's so great to have you on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Let's give people a bit of an overview. Let's say that they haven't heard of Beauty Blender. I don't know how they could have missed it, but let's say that somebody listening to the show doesn't know what you're building. Give us the, the cliff notes about what you're creating over there. Well, first of all, I sure hope there are still some people that don't know Beauty Blender because I still need my market out there. Um, so I am a professional makeup artist with over 26, seven years of makeup history in film and television and celebrity and started out a music video. I created Beauty Blender on a set. It was a, a challenge that I had. So Beauty Blender was a solution or a problem solver for me on that set. The show was called Girlfriends, and it was the first show being broadcast and shot in high definition. So Beauty Blender is like the first high-def tool. It was pretty much an experiment. Makeups look different, and that's how I created Beauty Blender. I had a challenge, and I created the solution to my challenge, which was to make skins look beautiful and perfect in high definition. Because your story kind of starts with you as a celebrity makeup artist, I think it is important to give some context about how you got to this point in your life that you were doing this work. Can you kind of like talk us through about how you became a celeb makeup artist and what you were doing when this idea came to you? Wow. Okay. So born and raised in Southern California, which, you know, is the first benefit because it's the center of, you know, entertainment. Uh, so I went to school for fashion design, actually, at uh, the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising in Los Angeles. But I learned very quickly that really making garments wasn't as much fun to me as illustration and drawing. So I took those talents and those concepts of color and texture, and I just got a part-time job at a cosmetic counter selling makeup. And I really fell in love with makeup artistry. And I thought, wow, this is this is not just a way to support myself, but I actually really enjoy it. And I love fashion. So it was kind of a hybrid of bringing those two together. 
And shortly, because again, going back to living in California, the mecca of entertainment, I my roommate happened to be a makeup artist, and she was working in production at the time. And I thought, wow, I'm working in a department store, which is great, but she's working in production on sets. I'm really interested in that. So that was pretty much my introduction to the various ways that you can work as a makeup artist. Mm-hmm. And um, through just contacts and uh, creating a, a lot of content at what we would call content at the time, because this was way before social media, but you had to have a book. So I had to do a lot of test shoots and create a portfolio for myself. But eventually, you know, I was able to meet somebody that wanted to take a chance on me and I ended up working and one job led to another. And then 27 years later, I was, you know, sitting in a makeup trailer on the back lot of Paramount, cutting sponges, making beauty blender. I mean, that <laughs> is in a nutshell. <laughs> I I've, I know your story in detail. You know, we've, we've gone back through um, and done a lot of research for the show, but we want to focus on, you know, growing the business. But I do really urge people to go back and listen to stories that have your that where you go into a lot of detail about how you got to this point, because it's a really interesting story. And I think it's super, super inspiring. So folks go and do, go and do a little bit of research. There's another interview with Guy Raz on how I built this, where you go into that early story that I think people should definitely listen to if they're interested. I want to talk about the actual sponge though, because you, you created this like iconic egg shaped makeup sponge. Why? Like, why was that the shape? What were you doing that made you think that that needed to be created? So there was a couple things. So the first thing is traditionally makeup artists that are trained to do makeup for film and television take, you know, what would we would call the wedge triangular sponge and and cut the edges off of that sponge, kind of bevel it so that edge is softer. And the reason you do that is uh, so the makeup that you're applying to someone else doesn't show lines of demarcation because it's not a, a straight line. And um, where that's really important is when you zoom in and, and when you're shooting, you do tight close-ups. You can see everything. So take it a step further. When we went from shooting film into shooting high-definition uh, videotape, it, you know, you could see everything. You could see every pore, every texture change, every bit of makeup on someone's skin. So um, I needed, like I said, I was trying, that was my challenge, was to have makeup look natural like you weren't wearing it, and at the same time be able to do corrective makeup and and do the makeup applications for the character or whatever you were doing. So um, basically it was two, two things. It was the cutting the sponges to make the softer edge, um, but it was also the material. The material that um, I ended up using for Beauty Blender was a much softer... It's a very proprietary material that we have and very exclusive to Beauty Blender. But uh, those those two things together is really what creates Beauty Blender and why it is the egg shape. So if you look at the triangular sponge and you, you can imagine cutting the edges off of that triangle, you kind of get a little teardrop shape. I love the... Um the idea and just like visualizing you kind of, we can see this big company that you've kind of built now and, and looking back at you kind of in the, in the makeup trailer with the scissors, cutting the sponge and figuring out what your first prototype looked like when you were building this, how did you take it from, okay, this is something that I can create in my trailer. I can use it myself. Maybe I can give it to a couple of makeup artist friends. What made you think this could be a business rather than just something that was for the industry? 
So honestly, Jasmine, at first, I wasn't thinking that way at all. I was really, as an artist, again, trying to find a solution to a challenge I had on set. And by the way, yes, I would use cuticle scissors sitting on the side of the set during takes and cutting the triangular sponges because they, you couldn't, you couldn't use them twice. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It wasn't very hygienic. So, um, but I'll tell you, I really create a beauty blender for other professionals like myself that I knew were going to have the same challenges because we knew high def was the future. And that was going to be, you know, the way that a lot of productions, if not all productions were moving uh, forward, it was much easier media to produce. It was a lot cheaper. So we just, I saw the writing on the wall. I knew that this was the future. Um, so I was a single parent at the time. Uh, my, my whole thought was like, wow, okay, if I could create some passive income for myself, <laughs> that was really not a very smart thought because there's nothing passive about this. But <laughs> I thought, I'm not sitting on a set, so if, if I could be making money while I'm not sitting on a set and be at the same time helping my peers that I knew were going to have this challenge, it seemed seemed like a win-win. So that was my first thought. But then I quickly realized that as I started to share my little sponges out with some of my unskeptical uh, makeup artist friends, they were like, wow, this really this really is a game changer. It really does work. Um, let me tell you how I use it. And so I would just get all this information coming back to me from certain friends that were helping me. And I realized, you know, what would be really great would be that if I could make them in bulk, so in my hiatus, I was going to figure out how to, you know, make more than one at a time, which was very time consuming. Um, and then I started thinking because they were time consuming and I, I also started recognizing how much waste there was in this disposable kind of idea that you would use a sponge one time and throw it away. You know, these materials that we make sponges don't really disappear in our environment. So I thought, how come we don't wash sponges like we wash our brushes? You know, somehow we think it's okay to wash our brush, but we've been told that we can't wash our sponge. So it created a whole other business for me. That's when I started thinking about it like a business. I was like, wow, this could be a reusable product. This could be great for not only makeup artists, but everyday people, because the feedback I'm getting is that it makes makeup so easy. So it was just, you know, honestly, it was a very organic process, but I just was very aware because I had the desire, Jasmine, to find a way to supplement my income. I was a very, very busy makeup artist. I had kind of reached a ceiling with what I could make. I had an agent on the East Coast, agent on the West Coast, and I was a part of Local 706. I was working. I mean, I was doing everything, and, and I still felt like as a parent, I wanted to be able to provide certain things to my child that, you know, hopefully would be able to uh, happen without me sitting on a set. So, and, and I loved being, I, I miss sitting on sets today. I love being a makeup artist, but you know, there was a time I just automatically realized like this is something maybe that other people would like and I need to figure out how to produce it, manufacture it, monetize it and spread it out into the world. When you were building this in the early days, it was very much pre-social media. I think a lot of the founders that we talk to now, they're building brands and their go-to their go-to strategy is influencer gifting and probably TikTok. That's what they're doing, maybe a bit of press. 
what were you doing to get traction in the early days when that wasn't really available to you? Right. So the, the big game changers for makeup artists that were creating makeup lines at the time was advertising or coverage in magazines, right? So, you know, if, you know, a celebrity, and this happened very many times for me too, if a celebrity is, you know, promoting a movie, they get a lot of attention from beauty editors and say, for example, the beauty editor wants to say, what's in your bag, right? So I knew that if I could get my beauty blender into the personal bags of my clients, number one, because I had top tier clients, that people people would see it. And because it was so unusual, there was nothing that looked like this. You know, Mm -hmm. there was nothing on the market and it was bright pink. I knew it would grab the attention of the editor and say like, what's that? You know? And so it would be, it would have some visibility. So that was one, that was one way. The other way was through my peers. The other makeup artists that really believed and understood that it's not just a cute little egg shaped sponge, but it's a very, very, um, Uh, you know, kind of uncomplicated, but complicated tool. Because, you know, when you think about high definition, you think about texture, you think about lines of demarcation, you think about shooting, makeup artists understood the benefits of this product. So it was, you know, beauty editors, it was my clientele, it was the support of other makeup artists, and also the pro stores. So as a makeup artist, when you are working on a a show, a film or a television, and you're the department head, you are in charge of purchasing all the products for your show. You create um, what we call uh, POs, production orders, with stores that are professional uh, retail stores, like a friend's Namies or Nigel's, that sell to other makeup artists that work on set because they'll go out and shop and get a variety of things for you. So you're not going from store to store to store mm. to store to buy things. So they all knew me very well. So when I told them I had a product, they were so supportive. They they were my first stores. They were the first stores. So they would put Beauty Blender in their stores. Other makeup artists would see them and go, "Oh, that's that thing," you know. So it was it was like. A, a marketing attack from like four different directions, but all very focused, very much pre-social media because there just there wasn't any social media then. <laughs> I think that really, I think that really speaks to like a couple of things. One is you're you're definitely still leveraging the power of like the influencer and the expert in like whatever space that you're in. And the other one is also the power of just building a network, even if you don't know if you're any way entrepreneurial minded even if you're not building a business right now, having that strong network and that community around you of having people that will have your back when you do launch something is just so powerful. Yeah, no, community is everything. And, you know, being a person of character is also, I believe, I mean, I hope, I hope people feel that way about me. You know, you never know, but I I try to live my life in that way where I do what I say I'm going to do. Mm. I don't, I don't BS, you know what I mean? I I think that, I think it's super important to have your community support you in any way, even, you know, pre-social media, super important. Now during social media, even more important, you know, like I would say even more important because news travels super fast. Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) What were some of those moments along, you know, as you've been building the business that you think really brought Beauty Blender into the mainstream? I mean, you know, Jasmine, I have been so fortunate. There's so many. I have to think, you know, really, honestly, 
there was the pro phase of my journey, which is super important because when you see a product in the hands of a makeup artist, not so, I mean, it's a little different now because people are paid mm. to use products, but before that wasn't happening. So when you saw a makeup artist use something, you knew it worked. They weren't doing it, you know, for any other reason, unless they were under contract with a brand or something. But, you know, normally if you were looking backstage at Fashion Week or if you were, you know, able to talk to a makeup artist that just won an Oscar, like they're not they're not selling products. They're talking about the things that work for them. So, you know, that was that was a very important first phase for me. But I would say the next most impactful relationship was my relationship with Sephora. I mean, Sephora is the, you know, the mecca of all things, uh, personal care, beauty, you know, they, they do it all. So um, those, those two things were really, really important. Um, I would also say certain publications like Allure Best of Beauty. Beauty Blender is a 14-time winner wow. of Best of Beauty in Allure magazine. And like, you know, Sephora is like the Bible of retailers for beauty. Allure magazine was the, and still is to this day, the, you know, the, the Bible for beauty. You know, if, if you got their stamp of approval, then, you know, that's, that's a huge introduction to masses of people. Yeah, it definitely means something if you can get if you can get into one of those best of beauty roundups because the I do think that the beauty editors at Allure are like one of the Allure and Birdie. I think if you're building a beauty business, they're kind of like two publications now that are really standing out as being like vetted by experts and and being able to get coverage in those publications seems to like really move the needle for people. Yeah, so those are those are really important um, outlets now. But you know, when I was starting Beauty Blender, it was Allure, InStyle, Vogue. Mm. Um, you know, there were there were like that that like fashion and beauty are like sisters, right? So yeah, they kind of crossed over. So how does that translate with, with the platforms now? Yeah, so how I'm, that's what I want to ask you about. Like, how does that translate now when you think about who the influential people are to have using your product and? You're adding new SKUs all the time. It's not just the Beauty Blender. You know, you've got a full um, cosmetics company now with multi multiple SKUs across the brand. How do you think about launching a new product or getting traction for a new product in the current landscape? Because things are quite different to when you first launched the company and even quite different to three or four years ago. Like the, the digital landscape has just completely shifted. Yeah, no, for sure. I'll tell you, you know, it's it's one thing to have a hero product, a successful product, because it kind of almost if if you if you listen to your product, if you listen to your consumers, you will know what your brand extensions should be. Mm. And, you know, it's different for every product and every brand. But, you know, because social media is so transformative, meaning, you know, people react very quickly now to whatever you do, you can, if you listen, you you know kind of the direction to go for a brand extension. My biggest challenge wasn't a brand extension, like what is the next tool? What is the next color? What is the next use for a product like Beauty Blender? For me as a makeup artist, my biggest challenge was not the next brand extension, but moving into the next category. So Beauty Blender created a category of tools that didn't exist before, but I wanted to enter the complexion category where, you know, there's heritage brands that sell and create beautiful foundations like Estee Lauder or L'Oreal, like, you know, you can name all of the big brands. So for me, it was switching 
the category, which was the biggest challenge because people, you know, a certain amount of people, I hope there's not all the people in the world don't know Beauty Blender yet. I, I still hope I have, you know, consumers out there, but for everybody that knew Beauty Blender, you know, trying to convince them that, you know, Beauty Blender is the perfect complexion application tool. And now I'm going to create the perfect complexion formulation to use with that tool. That message and that connection is, is, you know, Mm. where we live now. This is like, this is the communication that we have going on all the time now, because as simple or as organic as you think that connection might be, there are different categories and people think differently about the two different categories. Okay. I want to know how do you actually do that? Because, you know, we look at multiple brands who've done a similar thing. Um, the, the team at, uh, the, I think it's called mighty patch. They just, the company was just acquired for something like $600 million or something wild. And they started with just a pimple patch and then they, they moved out into a full acne care line, which was, you know, a similar kind of customer, but like quite different. And I'm wondering how brands like you and like them actually make that transition of moving out of that hero product into a totally different category. So every brand does it differently, Jasmine. And I will say when you're a small brand and you enter a transaction and you sell your company to an investor, that infuses your business with a lot of cash. And Generally, a lot, a lot of companies, the way they do it is through paid media. They just attack social media, you know, they're just throwing money at social media so that you're, you're seeing all these sponsored, you know, posts about them. And so it becomes an awareness game. Um, I still own Beauty Blender 100%. So I, I don't have that luxury. I don't have a financial partner to just throw money at me and then me to throw money at social media. So we have to be very strategic. And what I realized, it's, it's so interesting. What I realized when I created Beauty Blender, you know, pre-social media, I could literally, you know, I thought I was the biggest asset being a makeup artist and this tool being developed on set with a pro makeup artist. I thought that was like, like my superpower, right? I thought that's going to make everybody just really understand that this tool is proven. But what I realized very early in my journey with Beauty Blender is that being a professional makeup artist pre-social media, when we weren't used to tutorials and we weren't used to everybody being a makeup artist, when I told people I was a makeup artist and I worked in Hollywood and I worked on film and television and I developed this tool on set and I started to go into my whole thing about it, I would see like spirals in their eyes. It was mm. too much. So that's probably part of the reason why I didn't name the sponge Rian Silva. I named it Beauty Blender, you know, so that it would take on a life of its own and it would take me out of the equation as a makeup artist. So when I would put beauty blender into the hands of salespeople, they did a much better job at selling the tool, but not talking about how it was created through being a makeup artist. So I fast forward that now to entering the category of complexion and, you know, beautiful complexion products that I'm making now, I realize that now I have to talk about my makeup career. I have to actually Mm. talk about who I am and what my background and my expertise is. And 
it's a different time in our world. And we have, because of the beauty of social media, everybody has normalized makeup artistry and it's not intimidating to people anymore. So now I can say, yeah, I was the makeup artist. You know, um, my first film was Friday, then set it off. And I worked with all these people and, you know, then people are really interested. They're not intimidated anymore. Where before it was like, oh, that's a professional tool. I, I don't need a professional tool. I just need to put this makeup on my face. You know, there's a, there's a different kind of education that we as a culture now have that it was too much before and now we can talk about it. So I think those are the big differences. That and makes, I think that's how companies do it. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I I need to talk about the fact that you still own 100% of the company. So this has been completely bootstrapped the whole way through. Oh yeah. Wow. I completely missed that. That's incredible. This, I feel like, I don't know if I'm smart or if I'm dumb. (laughs) I I really don't know if I'm smart or stupid. Really? Seriously. I don't know. There is no way that you're stupid. If you've been able to build this by bootstrapping, that's incredible. I think a lot of the founders in our, in our community have this, have this issue where they have been trying to get funding and they can't, and they would like to not be bootstrapped, but that is the, you know, the only, the only way that they're going to be able to grow the business, at least for a point in time. What lessons have you learned as you've been bootstrapping this company? Because wow, that is an incredible achievement. Yeah. I mean, so many lessons, like you can only imagine, right? I mean, I am, I am at my core, a makeup artist. I'm not, um, you know, a finance whiz. I'm not a, a business background person. So there's been so many lessons. I would say one of the biggest lessons for me really, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just really trying to give you the most honest answer. I'm thinking about it, um, is learning about the finances of the business and, um, how important planning and forecasting are to being able to manage, your money and spend it in the right ways so that the money goes to growing the business. So many times, you know, there, and I can tell you in the past, I've had great ideas, wild things I want to do. And I've just, you know, Beauty Blender fortunately was very successful. So I had the money to throw at these ideas. And I realized over time that not every great idea is a productive idea and not every, um, you know, marketing, every, everything you throw marketing at is going to actually, you know, give you a return on your investment. So I think just, you know, I've been very lucky to find really smart people to work with me. And it's kind of, it's kind of been like an MBA in business for me while like an earn and learn at the same Mm. time. Like I've been able to really learn a lot through some of the smart people that I, I have working for me. But some of, some of the biggest lessons have definitely been financial, Um, have also been about your vision and your passion isn't always what the consumer is feeling. And um, you have to be okay with that. You know, a lot of artists, we are, you know, Erica Badu has has a, a saying in one of her songs is like, I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my shit. You know, I mean, it's like, it's so true. Like I, I had really passion for certain ideas and my team would just be like, uh, Rianne, I don't know about that. I don't know if it's going to work. You know, so you have to be open-minded. You have to, you know, really um, listen to the people that you have hired that you believe know more than you. That's yeah. been a big lesson for me. How, how do you determine between between what's a good idea and what's something that, you know, isn't going to work commercially, because 
again, a lot of founders in the community are building for themselves. They are the, you know, they feel like they are the customer, whether or not they are as the business grows is a different story. Um, and they're coming to this from just like pure passion and love and interest in the space. And maybe they don't, most of them don't have MBAs. They didn't go to business school. This is their first time running a business. So how do you make those, like, how do you juggle that? Is it, is it purely just leaning on other people's expertise? Like, is it learning and making mistakes as you go? Are there resources that you've kind of tapped it's a combination of thing, things for me, and I can only speak for myself because I think everybody has a different experience. But I will say when you're a small business, you know, innovation and creativity is very um, important and, you know, that's important at any point. But I think especially when you're a small business, the risks are smaller, right? It's when your business grows to a certain level that you start thinking about some of those innovative risks that you know, that you are thinking about. So the way you calendar your year is very important. Um, I, I say that you create things that you know are going to create revenue and that, you know, consumers are going to like. And then now what I do is when I, when I create something that's innovative, I don't necessarily plan for that to be my biggest, you know, profitable product mm. of the year you have to test it. And I think that social media and the fact that e-commerce and just our digital world provides us with different ways to test your ideas um, is very helpful. So th those are kind of some of the things like you listen to the people. I, you know, I, like I said, I try to hire very smart people that have great backgrounds. You look at their backgrounds, you do a lot of back channeling, you find out that, you know, what they put on their resume and, and how they work with other people. Very important. Um, you know, you, you try to find the smartest people that advise you and help kind of navigate your boat, but then you can't lose your creativity or your, your, you know, your taste for innovation because as your business grows, it's very easy to try to become vanilla, right? I mean, it's very easy. A big company becomes a big screaming baby, right? Mm -hmm. It tells you what it needs and what, what, how you have to feed it. So, but sometimes you need to introduce some new food to that baby, right? Like, so that you have seeds you're planting for the future. So it's a balance between running the business strategically and, creating products that are going to be revenue driving, but at the same time, splashing in your innovation and your creativity. And the way, you know, the way I do it is I, you know, I, I pitch, I have to pitch my ideas to my own team. Yeah. Like, you know, like, I'm like, I got this idea and I want to do this thing. And they'll either be like, mm, I don't know. I don't know about that. Let's try this. You know, let's see what happens if we do a little like focus group or we, you know, like, so there's different things, Jasmine. There's just... I know I, I wish I could give you a canned answer, but your business, whatever your business is for any entrepreneur that is growing their business, you have to listen to your business and listen to the pulse of the culture. And those things will kind of help navigate you when you're through your, whatever you're creating. When you're testing an idea kind of digitally, are you, are you running ads? Are you doing um, focus group with existing customers? What are some of the tactical ways that something might be tested? So... I might be very different than different entrepreneurs because I'm still very much connected with my makeup community. Mm. So they're the first people I go to. Like I said to you before, I'm a proud member of Local 706. We have hundreds of makeup artists all across the United States that are constantly, you know, film and television help create the makeup trends that we end up seeing very much 
in fashion and all of that. So my peers are the ones that are creating looks and creating new ideas about beauty and fashion all the time. So they're my group, you know, they're my group of people that I test stuff with and they will tell me this is bullshit. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't going to work. This, this didn't do anything. Rian, sorry, love you, but we didn't like this. And I'll be like, okay, all right. So we'll go on to the next thing. Um, so, you know, that's really important to, to fall back on my peers. Um, we don't really, we don't do a lot of testing on social media. Social media is a very tricky place to live. You know, I think there's, there are, um, there are booby traps all over social media, right? So, I mean, we try to, we try to internalize the way that we use our focus groups. Sometimes it's as simple as just, you know, my internal group of people that I have working for me. I have about 100 people working for me. So that's a good focus group there. Um, sometimes it's makeup artists. And sometimes I categorize the makeup artists. Sometimes it's makeup artists that, you know, strictly do celebrity and fashion. Mm -hmm. Then other times it's my makeup artist friends that do film and television. Um and then sometimes it is, you know, certain influencers that we know really do love the brand and we talk to them. So it's, again, it's always a little bit different. That's just the way I do it at Beauty Blender. Hearing your story and, and you know, you're saying that you have a um, hundred people, around about a hundred people working in the business now, and you started cutting out these uh, sponges yourself. I'm really, I'm really curious about what advice that you have for somebody who is in this scaling phase of their business where they're trying to detach themselves from the day-to-day -day and they're trying to, to kind of like zoom out and be the vision and, and overseeing a growing team, how you've been kind of up-leveling yourself and your, you know, your own confidence as a leader and as an entrepreneur and also the way that you handle your days and structure your time. So it's really important, again, and I know I've said this now in this particular podcast, you know, the people that you surround yourself with, it's really important that you have people that are aligned with you and understand what your day-to-day -day is, because it's not just, my day-to-day -day isn't just Beauty Blender. I have a family, I have yeah. kids, I have, you know, I have, I have a private life too, so and I'm a, a Libra. So if you know anything about Libras, we're always trying to strike balance in everything mm -hmm. that we do. Um, it's the only way to survive for us. Um, imbalance is not good. Um, so it's really trying to strike a balance. So that means I have to have people working like the first closest people that work to me have to understand what's being required or requested of me and how to insulate and help me create space around myself so I can still think to do all the various things I have to do in my life, whether it's product development or taking my granddaughter to a lesson or being present for my 86 year old mother mm. or, you know, doing market week for, you know, North America, Sephora. I mean, they have to understand the variables that go on in, in your life. And um, they're high capacity people. So I look for people that um, are sensitive, kind, smart, but understand and can take in a lot of information. Sometimes we have friends and family that we think are great to help us. And I've had friends and family too, and they are great to help us. But a lot of times they're a little emotional about your life too. So you need someone that can really be, um, you know, kind of a neutral, kind of like, I call it like a very kind of um, horizontal thinker, you yeah. know, like not 
not be thinking in terms of just trying to get everything done all the time. Like what is the smartest way to approach things? You know, because you're presented, you're presented schedules, you're presented all of these different, as a founder, all these different opportunities. So how do you balance it and have it make sense? So the people closest to you also also have to be high capacity and be thinking in that way for you, whatever your life consists of. That's such good advice. I, and particularly like resonates with me. I have a eight week old baby at the moment and we are doing, yeah, he's very, very fresh. He's so been, you're not sleeping. No. Not sleeping. Oh no. I haven't had more than two hours in a long time. <laughs> Um, but the business is growing a lot at the moment and we, uh, we've just done a really big event where we took over the museum of ice cream and I think he was like seven weeks, no, six weeks old at the time. Um, and that was just a huge lift. And I'm in this point now where I'm trying to hire and like figure out what does that look like and what you're saying about the kind of people that you need to surround yourself with really resonates like that. I just feel like that's exactly what I need to do. So thanks for that. It's something that I've thought about especially in the last couple years a lot. And I know, I don't know if anybody has ever used that term before. It's a term that I, I think I use myself and internally is a high capacity person. Mm. So a person that, you know, based on their history and their background, that they can multitask and have the ability to think for you in a multitasking way. Mm. I'm a major multitasker. So I look for people that know how to level up on my multitasking, you know? So that's what I mean, high capacity. You know what, what I know what I'm good at and I know what I do. So I'm looking for someone that understands that plus. This has been such an amazing conversation. The last question that I have for you is just for a resource. So something that it could be a book, a podcast, a habit that you have, a mindset, something that's been helping, helping you as you've been building your business. Okay, so this is a really funny question because I was t discussing it with Lauren, my PR person. She was like, Rianne, okay, what, is, what, what, what book are you reading right now? I was like, um, I'm not reading a book right now. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I don't really have time to read books. I, I mean, mean, I'll listen to books. I feel, like the, I feel like Kanye West. I read that he doesn't read books, and I thought, that's so stupid. But then I was like, I don't really read books either. <laughs> um, I don't have a lot of time to read books. You got stuff um, going on. I got a lot of shit happening. I got mm -hmm. a lot of stuff going on. Sorry, bad word. Sorry. Um, but I will say there is a book that I happened to hear about just today when I was thinking about you, Jasmine. I was like, okay, I'm going to talk to Jasmine. And I was watching TV and this thing came on about this guy. He's a, a professor at Yale. And he wrote the, this book. His name is, I have it here because I was going to tell you, Miroslav Volf. I, am, I bought this book. I am going to read it and I'm going to listen to it on Audible because it sounds so amazing. It's called Life Worth Living. Hmm. And it talks about some of the things we've discussed here today, but just something super interesting for me. So I'm I, when you posed this question to me, I felt so stupid. I was like, okay, I need to read a book. This is just really bad that I said, I, I'm not reading a book. Like, I feel like, like I'm letting society down. I need, write, I need to read a book. So I'm, I'm going to read this book. Yeah. I'm literally reading like sleep training books at the moment. So don't you worry. Okay. That's a great recommendation. Um, I'm going to pop the link. Well, well but I can notes. also tell you, I've started, I can tell you, Jasmine, I've started about 
at least 15 books that I haven't finished. You know, I'm a, a, like an airplane reader, but mm-hmm. it puts me to sleep. Mm-hmm. The minute I start reading a book, <laughs> I knock out. So I, I don't know. You've given us so much good advice in this conversation. Thank you so much, Rianne, for coming on the show. I'm so impressed by what you've built and what you've bootstrapped. Um, we're going to put all the links to for people to connect with Beauty Blender in the show notes. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And good luck with your baby and your business. Congratulations on growing your business. It's exciting. You have so many good things going on. That's amazing. You brought life into the world. You have a baby. Your business is growing. Both those babies are going to be crying at the same time, girl. Yeah, it does feel like that at the moment. Like I I definitely thought when, you know, towards the end of my pregnancy and the business was like really growing and I was like, oh, I feel like I'm going to feel resentful the time away from the business because I really love it and really enjoying it. But now I'm kind of realizing, oh, there's actually just like two things I really want to be doing all the time. And life is just so full of fun, beautiful, stressful, but things I want to be doing. So I feel very lucky. Life is stressful anyway, but you're really lucky that you're doing it at this time in our evolution because you have the ability to maybe be at home while you do this and you don't have to. I had to be on set Mm. away from my kids, which was really hard, you know, so good for you. Quick shout out to all of our business bestie subscribers. If you are loving the show and you are building a consumer CPG or e-commerce business, or you're about to build one, this membership will give you access to the people, experiences, and the tools that you really need to build your dream business. Head to femalefounderworld.com forward slash subscriber for more.